so anyway, I don't really know. You're just going to, I don't even remember really what we talked about. So we'll just start afresh. Yeah, we'll just start a, or I'm already recording. And just to let you know, oh, okay. I got this going. <laughs> Thank <laughs> like, you for telling to, like, me. Ease into it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Madness Continues podcast. Uh, today, guest Judith Taylor is here. Uh, professor of sociology and uh, is it women and gender studies or just gender studies? Correct. It is women and gender studies. Studies at the University of Toronto, uh, up in Toronto, Ontario. and But we're here in, in Park Slope in New York where we're talking about this. And just to recount very briefly sort of what uh, how this all came together, I saw, you know, you had talked on the CBC um, after uh, terrible events had, that had happened in Toronto with, um, uh, you know, this, this incel community thing. And uh, some of the violence that had happened, which was awful. Uh, and I had been speaking with some friends about this recently um, and went and watched a handful of different videos and saw you speaking post, um, I forget what news hour it was on C- the CBC. But I felt like f- you were one of the first people I'd ever heard in the media who felt like you you understood it. And to be perfectly honest, one of the, the few women I think I've ever heard speak who I felt like completely captured mm-hmm. what I thought was kind of my experience having been a, f- a frustrated young man at one point. Um, and it really felt like you got it. And I shot you an email and uh, you responded to it. To my much to my surprise, and <laughs> a little bit, and then you were like, "Can we jump on the phone and talk about this for a minute before we like commit to anything?" And uh, which I thought was very like, I was like, "She must really be wondering what I'm like, my agenda is here or something," <laughs> and which completely understood. Uh, and so we jumped on the phone, had a really great call, and uh, you were coming down to New York, and so we decided to sit down and record this podcast, and that kind of encapsulates, I think, all the movements up until this point. I think it's a um, it's a really courageous thing for you to talk about I think that when men see other men engage in um, you know really scary things especially you know men who've committed murder the the first thing that you want to do is say like I'm not like that and so I'm just going to ignore it and I'm going to you know I'm going to distance myself from it as much as possible and from people like that as much as possible and so it takes a a particular kind of courage to lead that conversation. Well, that's a let's this. I'm, so first of all, thank you. Uh, that's very flattering of you to say. Let's immediately dive into that because what's fascinating to me is that one of the one of the unofficial uh, themes of this podcast since the beginning has sort of been uh, the uh, I, you know the Me Too movement was really going on when this started and it was taking place within the Chicago com- comic community. Um, and what you just described in terms of like a lots of, I think, men distancing themselves from any from from the perp- someone who had perpetrated something w- was happening a lot in that community. And I was speaking with um, this uh, really amazing comedian, uh, Meredith Cachel, who's in Chicago. She runs a show, uh, Chicago Underground Comedy at the Beat Kitchen, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, she's I'm gonna I'm gonna tag her in this, but anyway, she um she and I sat down and had this really interesting conversation because she was posting a lot of stuff in the Chicago community that I thought was really relevant, and I thought I've had this conversation on the podcast with a handful of male comics. I really should have her on to to hear her perspective and talk with her about it. She clearly has a lot of opinions about it that I thought were really ve- relevant. But one of the things that we talked about was exactly the point that you just made, which I think that it's almost strangely part of the problem that it feels like, you know, I, I, I not to take this conversation in this direction necessarily, but um, 
I think that one of the things that I has been a, a point of conversation in Chicago has been this idea of like, do we, is this the Chicago comedy rape culture? Do we mm. live in a rape culture? Mm. And one of the things that I hear a lot of men saying are like, well, I, that's terrible. We would never, that's ridiculous. And I think to myself, I think the more so, w w we, what I think that I hear women who I've spoken with asking is just to acknowledge that you're like, when you, as you're, as being a man, you have the capacity to do something terrible and you need to recognize that. Mm. And that's the kind of beginning point of it. Mm. And I feel like that alone and the flight away from that is part of this ongoing kind of conspiracy of silence almost mm. in terms of men's complicity in these kinds of events. Does that make sense? Sorry to it get so does. heavy really quickly, but I just appreciate you saying that. And that, that I think lines up mm -hmm. with that, that mm -hmm. point that I've thought of before. Yeah, I mean, I think... So I, I just want to preface this by saying I'm not an expert in masculinity at all. The things that I'm reflecting on well, are... Well, this interview's over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> come, <laughs> out <of the> <laughs> come out of the same um, space of, of knowledge, you know, um, collection and uh, intellectual work that anyone in gender studies is doing. Mm -hmm. So what I'm talking about is pretty basic. Like, so I think when we talk about questions of, like, what is gendered entitlement... Or what does it mean for men to lose ground? Or what does it mean to have a kind of economized masculinity? And by economized mm. masculinity, I mean men are afforded respect and intimacy so far as they can pay for it. Mm. Mm. And in a, in a changing market, uh, changing economy, uh, where you really don't have the same kind of access to... Um, even um, solid working class jobs that you did um, in your grandfather's era, let's say, mm -hmm. um, that is going to create a, a, a central point of, of sort of confusion mm. for um, men who are, who are feeling increasingly like they're going to do more poorly than their fathers and grandfathers did, mm. right? And so how do you resolve that confusion is ripe for the internet to solve. Yeah. I it's uh I, I feel like you just making that point I feel like is a huge point. I think that there's um there's a it's a very strange, you know, uh just to return to the main point. So mm -hmm. so we kind of started this conversation outside of the podcast with the idea that we were talking about incels and it's a problem just for the listener i have not really talked about on this podcast very much mm -hmm. but it's a problem that i'm fascinated by having been a, a very sexually frustrated young man <laughs> for, mm -hmm. for for all of my adolescence um but i think that i feel a lot of sympathy for um really i guess all people in 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 this position but particularly young men who i think are both who are grossly misunderstood by themselves and then by others. <laughs> uh -huh. And I think that there is a um, assumption of kind of, uh, of, of uh, male strength or power or something that they're living in the shadow of, which is this kind of like, well, you're fine. And you're like, well, you're 15. You're not fine. You're mm -hmm. a kid. Mm -hmm. But you have all of these feelings. You don't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. And nobody gives a shit about your problems. Can I ask you, when you were 15 and you were feeling this way, did you think that there were girls that also felt socially excluded, that also were lonely, and that also did, you know, felt like no one wanted to touch them? I, I don't think I, I don't think the thought ever really crossed my mind. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's a there's a, a kind of twin 
media piece going on here. One is like this sense of like, I deserve to have some sort of intimacy, but I only want it with this very small subset of women. <laughs> I, th- I think, yeah, I think this is part of the issue. Yeah. Right. So one thing that, uh, we, that came out of so much of this incel conversation is all of these young women that were like, what do you think? You know, what, it, like we're all sitting Why here. Why do you think we have all these eating disorders? Yeah. yeah. Right. Or what, <laughs> you know, it's, or you have a kind of like pornography induced understanding of what's attractive, but there are many women that would find you really beautiful inside and out that you don't pay attention to. Yeah. They're simply not on your radar. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, cause I think that's part of the problem is that I think that they're the, the, that, and and it's funny because we talked earlier uh, slightly and I was talking about kind of how I maybe navigated my way through this problem without becoming, you know, negative or violent or any of these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Not that I think I would have, but, uh, you know, we were just kind of discussing that. And I think that one of the things that I also had going for me during that period of time is that there wasn't this, ri- there's so much pornography online that is so uh, detrimental and warping, I think, of, you know, really all culture potentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, it depends Mm -hmm. on who you talk to about it, but I think that that's a big point of this, which is that a lot of these guys are trapped in this weird type of prison of their own creation that they, they, they don't see people around them, uh, women around them as actual potential partners. Right. Or people. Yeah. Or people. (laughs) Yeah. Or people. Yeah. Yeah. That's key to feeling a sense of self-worth is respecting other people and their potential and their beauty, mm. which is really hard to teach to a 14 year old boy, boy. but <laughs> it's, it's possible. Um, but it strikes me that classic bastions <laughs> of sensitivity and empathy well, everywhere. I mean, 14 year old boys. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think that, um, w- when I think about these cases of folks who've moved to a place of, from a place of depression to a place of destruction, mm. though, I think that there is, um, uh, a missing piece of any sense of future. Um, like there's no, no sense that there's a work, uh, there's excitement about a future work, uh, plan and also not a lot of, um, deep ties to family members or to community. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating that you say that because that was exactly what I experienced when I was this age is that like, I had this, like I had, I think again, one of the things I think I had going for me is that I had a, a family that was predominantly matriarchal, really on both sides, to be honest. Mm. And grandmothers ruled the roost on both sides. (laughs) And um, not only did I have two grandmothers who ruled the roost, I had a lot of grandmothers. I had four grandmothers. I had a Uh step-grandmother, a biological grandmother on my dad's side. And then I had uh, my mother's mother and then her mother who was still around. So there was a lot of, there was Uh a real uh surrounding of all that. But I think, uh, so one, I think I had a really big family that was also kind of supportive, but I think I also had this core group of like, of male friends that we kind of were all in a similar position, it felt like, and uh, whether or not we had conversations specifically about being like sexually frustrated or partnerless, it was, it just all felt like we were Uh the same kind of crew, Uh but I definitely felt this strange alienation from anything beyond those two things. Like I didn't feel like I was part of a culture. Right. I didn't feel like I was part of a community. I didn't feel like anybody cared about me. Right. Like there was not a lot of, and I think that that part uh, that I can see that feeling in a lot of these guys are already like hurting really bad. Right. And just to return to kind of the main point is like you, you had displayed a level of, I think compassion and, and, and under in that, and through that understanding when you were speaking on this in the CBC. Mm-hmm. And again, I'll link, mm-hmm. link the, clip in the show notes that I was like 
wow, this feels really real to me. Like, mm. I wish that I had heard this when mm. I was in this position mm. as one of these, you know, uh, as one of these guys. That's so nice. I can't remember what I said. I definitely am empathic. And I do, um, I do understand what that feels like to feel written off. Mm. You know, I think that that I, I see young men experiencing that. I think the the interesting thing about it is that I mean, I I've been struggling to figure out is this because, like, when you're thinking that you're lonely and you're thinking that you need intimacy, are you thinking about like? I would have to ask someone out on a date and I don't have the money to do that and and or that I'm, you know, I'm not physically what women are looking for or like the place, you know, what's what's fascinating to me about that alienation is that it doesn't it seems like it comes from a place of kind of already being defeated mm. it's not that folks actually tried to engage socially mm -hmm. it's not that they like applied for a job at the library and were you know just tried to make small talk as yeah. people were checking out their books yep. to see if they could make a connection <laughs> and everyone ignored them and spat yeah. on them and then yeah. they figured out that they were you know a pariah yeah. no it's it comes it starts from a place of defeat yes yeah i agree with you actually so, like, one of the things we talked about, you asked me uh, when we had this phone call before, you were like, how did you not fall into, like, this, the Jordan Peterson camp of, <laughs> of things? Uh -huh. um, and I think that it was funny because my answer to you is I was like, I, I kind of went through the whole story of, I think, my background. And I was like, one of the things that I think Jordan Peterson so so... Uh, is, first of all, he's a figure that is accurately maligned for reasons that I think are accurately maligneable. But so you know, of course, I, we didn't think anyone needed to hear it. But yeah, make your bed. Yeah, see if it makes you feel better. That's what sure. I mean. Is I that mean, I, I can't believe that we're actually saying that. Yeah, but, but I think sure. that what you just described is like this defeatist, like victimhood mentality that I think that there it. I think that there is, and I think that even that that's it. the situation you just described is like when I think back to myself at that age I was like I didn't that's right I didn't do anything like one uh -huh. of the big changes that I had was I remember thinking fuck if I want a girlfriend I actually have to go talk to some <laughs> women that has to happen <laughs> like that's a the uh -huh. the qua non of of uh, of getting in a relationship is you have to talk to another human. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so I was kind of like, oh shit, I gotta go. I write up, I talk about this in my act. Like it was like a big revelation. Like I was like, I remember I called my friends and I was like, guys, I just realized something. Like what? You know, if we really want to date women, we gotta like talk to them and shit. <laughs> and did you think at the time like maybe I'll join Toastmasters or maybe I'll like? I, well, how I do was you... already doing improv and comedy. Oh, okay. okay. So I was doing. I've, I've done stand up for almost and in uh, comedy in general for like almost twenty years now, which is nuts. And there uh, are so many women to meet in comedy. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There are. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there are now. It's getting better. There, it's getting yeah, better. there yeah. are now. Uh -huh. But I think that. Um, but you're correct. There wasn't. There was some some girls in improv who were were very cute in high school and who like I. But I. But there was a weird kind of, and I think this is maybe part of the problem is that there was a weird kind of gulf of space between me feeling like there was any kind of like I don't even know how to navigate this space. Right in order to attempt to find some kind of connection here. Right. And it was and and that was frightening and scary and there was a lot of like I think that there there's a lot of sort of confusion in there because there isn't any kind of like what I said earlier vocabulary or like plan. There's no map for that territory for most I think young men in that position. So this defeatist attitude comes up cuz it's like we can't take the ring to Mordor cuz I don't even know what going through <laughs> you know, the whatever the space between here and there is. Uh -huh. I guess in this in this analogy, it, getting a girlfriend is Mordor. But <laughs> I see. <laughs> but 
Yeah, I think that, but you're right. I feel like that was kind of my position at the time was I was just like, yeah, I just don't really, I can't. And then if you don't know what to talk about and if there is no like shared sense of, you know, interests, why would you want to start the conversation? I mean, is it really just like they, this would feel good on some visceral level to have someone touch me or to put my arm around someone, but I have no idea what we would talk about and I don't even know if I'd even like them. Yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering, like, do we, is socialization well, such it like that? that, like, <laughs> that, you know, girls and boys who are heterosexually identified have no shared interests and no shared socialization. So the conversation is just like, I like you and I don't even know why I do, you know, and that's not really Nailed a basis it. for, okay. Yeah. Right. So then it seems like we would have to work on that as yeah. a culture. I think that was my exact to pitch to Emily in my, I like age, you. Al- uh-huh. yeah, I mean, algebra you geometry class. Yeah. I like that. I, like I think that I was lot. like, I really like you. And she was let's like, just, okay, let's say that that let's just though without, I mean, we could make fun of that, but we could also say that takes a tremendous amount of courage. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's a lot in popular culture you know, um, my name is no, my number is no, you know, what is, what's her name? The, uh, she's funny. This is a pop, um, singer. It's not Lizzo, is it? No, is it? no. no. Okay. She's like white and she has blonde hair. Um, and she, she, uh, all about that bass. Anyway, her. Oh yeah. Okay. She, um, she Megan, had, uh, yes, Trainor. Megan Trainer. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, my daughter loves to sing that song. Like my number is no, my name is no. Like, so the idea that is that femininity gets structured around your ability to attract someone and then put them down. Yeah. Which strikes me as. Yeah. It's like college admissions. You're judged by, up, yeah. you're judged by how high you can turn people down. Well, right. So like that is, I just want to point out, like, it's not just like masculinity is toxic. Femininity yeah. is toxic. Yeah. Like you're not. So you want to tell me you spend all this time getting all dressed up at Sephora, yeah. you know, buying all this clothing so that you can tell someone to go away oh, when yeah. they have the courage to approach you. So that, you know, no wonder men feel defeated. Yeah. Before they start. And I think people who, again, who are straight identified really need to think about like, is this really a welcoming introduction to uh, a sexual future? Yeah. That like your first forays into risk are met with derision? Yeah. Like I would say no. Not, none of us would say like, yeah, I definitely want my son to have that first rite of passage where well, he, he like, gets, gets turned, to, yeah. turned down a hundred <laughs> right. times. Right. No, I don't, I don't think that's something that I, 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 uh, I'm sentimental about him experiencing. Well, and it's funny because I feel like, you know, this is one of these things that as I've gotten older, and I think I'm sure this is true for most people, is that as you get older, that, that gets easier in the sense that I think that part of this is just a lack of, it, it, there's almost like an expectations mismanagement that's like, fe- feels like it's happening. It, that's part of this equation also because it's like, look, you know, it, it, I, I forget, I think it was, I don't know how old I was into my mid twenties before I realized I was like, Oh, like women can be make mistakes and say things they don't mean. Uh And like also maybe be an unhealthy person who says dumb stuff sometimes. Like I had no idea that 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 was suddenly, and I was like, Oh shit. Like all the times I've ever been turned down previously, it could be, that could have been a mistake. Like she could be walking around being like, why did I do that? And like, or, or whatever. Right. Or we could get into a more comfortable way of talking about this kind of thing where both men and women could approach one another and either could say, I really respect that you asked me out. I'm not interested in you, but I hope that we can be friends or I hope that you're not offended or, you know, like that we can come to a place of, 
um, a, of respectful engagement in that way that doesn't make people feel crushed. Mm. You know, it's not that it, it was necessarily a mistake. Like, I love how young people are thinking in new ways about consent. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing. You know, if you ask a group of people in their um, 50s, did someone ask you before they kissed you? You know, for most young women, getting kissed is like this thing that happens to you and you don't even know that it's going to happen. You're kind of shocked by it or you kind of enjoy it, but you're not in charge of it. Yeah. And so it's really like the culture of consent makes women responsible too mm. for inviting rather than having something happen to them, Yeah. you know, in a kind of, um, really helpless kind of frame of mind, like, mm. you know, or this kind of magical thinking, like I'm just going to have this sexual experience. That's going to feel good. And I'm going to be picked and it's going to be exciting, but I have no idea how that's going to happen. Yeah. And I play no role really, except for, you well, know, so that us. was what I, so, okay. So I think that this, that this is fascinating that we're talking about this too, because I feel like that's what, there's a weird kind of, um, almost like a etiquette gap or something. I don't yes. know what to describe it where there's kind of like a, well, you figure it out. And I remember like part of m part of my frustration was I remember talking to my parents about this and being like, I can't get a girlfriend. Blah. Like that was kind of my, <laughs> my well articulated feelings at the time. And they were like, well, what, well, what have you, like, what do you do? My dad, I remember being like, well, I don't even know what your generation does, honestly. Like, well, I, like, can, I, mean, I have no you idea. You know what your generation does. Like they, get drunk yeah. and hope for something, yeah, yeah. which is like a Basically, recipe for disaster. disaster. Yeah. You're, you're placing that. And that's what's so strange, but I feel like that both of the ways that you describe this, where like if you're, if the, if the practical method for trying to attract a partner, if you're a woman is such that you're like, okay, I'm going to go get smashed at a party and then, or, and then somebody's going to pick me. It's like, you're inviting people who have <laughs> no sensitivity to your, your desire to be, you know, but entered this in, in, in by an act of commission uh -huh. um, to that. That's who you're inviting in to do this. Yeah. And I feel like no wonder you're having bad experiences if that's kind yeah, of the yeah. situation. My advice for my undergraduates is to have morning dates. Like if that's you really idea. like someone, you should go out for breakfast. And if you want to kiss them, you should do it without alcohol. And if you yeah. can't do it without alcohol, you really shouldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, I might sound completely... I feel like... Ugh, thanks, mom. Well, yeah. <laughs> heterosexuality needs to be on probation right now because, I mean, clearly, like, I the courts can't I, even handle I how much, right I that. know, yeah. um, you know, how much disagreement there is, apparently, between men and women about what, when intimacy should take place and how it should feel, um, that I feel like, you know, let's just be sober for it for a while and see if we can actually remember it. That would be good. And, um, and then, like, account for it in some way that's... But, you know, back to your discussion of yourself, I do think that it's the case that many young men feel like, oh, I'm not worthy of um, women's attention. And then they, you know, they go through puberty, they go through, they get a first job, and then they feel that they pass through that period. Sure. And, and so what we're talking about, the, the incel population doesn't pass through it. Yeah. But most, I, I think it's really important to say the vast majority of men yeah. do develop emotional intelligence, do develop a sense of give and take about intimacy, you know, mm -hmm. there, and there is like, you know, most, um, most Americans actually meet their partners at work. Mm -hmm. And so for that to work, it means that people are asking each other out. They are paying attention to whether someone's receptive to that. It's the rare person mm -hmm. that is just like trying to grab people yeah. at a party. It yeah. really is. And I think that people have to give themselves a level of credit too. Like the, there is a system that does work. People do mature. Mm -hmm. um, and then some folks 
stay in that position mm -hmm. of, of exclusion. And that has to do with um, not pursuing um, training or education, not pursuing employment yeah. and living in, in a, in, you know, in isolation and not having family who's able to really intervene in, in that. And well, I think you're that's saying important. This defeatist, yeah. There's like a, there's <clears throat> a, a strong identification with it. it, it one of the, my f f feelings on this is that I think that there's a, you know, um, the term to toxic masculinity has been thrown around a lot mm -hmm. and encompasses maybe a lot of things, but one of those things potentially is this kind of toxic feeling of abdication of like, you know what? I just don't, if I don't ever, if I just believe that it's a, a fait accompli and I don't, and I can't possibly gain any, I can't find a partner. I'm never going to get a good job. That's going to be right. good enough for, you know, a woman to actually love me. I'm never going to, if I just do those things, I unburden myself of having to actually go through the work of doing them right. and potentially risking loss and potentially having negative feelings. It's a lot easier for me to sit in my apartment and complain about this online with a community of people who are like have bizarrely gamified this yes. with one another <laughs> and create our bizarre own little language and like all this kind of stuff. It's easier for me to do that than it is for me to actually go outside and deal with anything. Yes. Like that's yeah. what, like there's a really powerful defeatist part of that entire kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that, I mean, so I was a doctoral student at UC Santa Barbara, which is an interesting campus for thinking about the incels because yeah. it had not one, but two actually. So when I was teaching there, there was a young man who drove his very expensive sports car. His father was a uh, very prominent uh, director in TV and he drove his car through a crowded um, neighborhood of undergrads killing several of them. Jesus. Several, same, same kind of guy. And then the, the case of the young man many years later who um, took a gun and shot students in many different um, settings and created a lot of um, treatises um, and who is sort of lionized and made into a hero. Treatises, manifestos. Right. As, as, yeah. Right, right. So, but, and, and interestingly, the second young man was also the child of um, Los Angeles uh, TV writers, producers. Interesting. Um, also huh. well to do, but kind of ignored. And I think, so it's, it's not to say that like this isn't an upper middle class problem. You know, I think in, in many ways it can be. It's not just a problem of people who are excluded economically. Um, and even the, the young man in Toronto um, was taken care of by his parents, did have his rent paid for, mm. was, you know, did have his education paid for at a prominent college right so this is actually it's not the case that this is something that people turn to who don't have any other economic opportunities yeah. and that's why they feel like um uh like girls are foreclosed to them yeah well i think that there's a weird kind of so i mean one of the things that's thrown around in the media a lot is this concept of entitlement and they're talking about like male right. entitlement and feelings like this and a lot of the time at least f f when i look in my own you know experience i think I don't think I felt entitled is not really the right mm. word to encapsulate what that feeling was, but it almost feels like that is the right way to describe it. When you start looking through the, what you've just, what you've just described, which is like this guy, of course, this, it feels like a tantrum. It feels like you're throwing mm -hmm. a tantrum that for the first time in your life, you didn't get something handed to you. That's right. And now you're taking it out on the world, like a, a spoiled kid, which That's is right. basically what these guys were. And none of them, I think would have been amenable to the suggestions that I have mm -hmm. for average, um, young men who are feeling socially dislocated. Mm -hmm. So I have a set of, 
of, you know, solutions or suggestions. And I, I feel like this has to be a national agenda and it is in Canada in some ways more than the mm. U S I think that the Canadian government is God, really, why can't thinking, we get our shit together, man? I know, I know it's called like believe in government again. Um, it, it, you can do it Americans, but, um, oh boy, I hope so. <laughs> I think, you know, our, our current liberal government is really concerned with thinking about masculinity and the way that the United States has mostly managed those interventions is through sports. Mm. And that's an important, you know, of course the kind of camaraderie that's produced on teams is good. I actually think that is not where the investment should go. And I do, I do not see evidence that participating in team sports makes men more capable of treating women like, um, you know, equal human beings, yeah. you of know, not you know, thinking, you know, all the, yeah. all the, all the, you know, all the athletes in my high school were definitely the most woke, right. wokest <laughs> dudes right. at the school. Right. Right. Remember the no. captain of the football team and how he, how he cried when, yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> Yeah. Ever. Right. Yeah. Right. No. So, so, you know, he got that full ride to the University of Michigan <laughs> to study women and gender studies. I remember <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> right. Right. No. That's really funny. So, yeah, I'm, I, I, do, I do not support um, a continued government investment in sports as a way of building a new masculinity or new masculinities. I don't think there's any evidence yeah. of that. I do think that trade unions have a really big role to play mm. and have actually managed to think about um, gender uh, in new ways that were really painful. Like they had to really do the work of diversifying the factories, diversifying the mm -hmm. shop floors and um, thinking really carefully about like how do you create teams with men and women? Yeah. So I, I do think that trade unionism is really primed to help us with our youth um, mm. in much the same way. Like how do you build friendship groups that are um, cross-gender in the same way that you do a workplace? I get the feeling that for Gen Z, this is going to be a much less serious... I could be wrong, mm. but I get the feeling this is going to be a much less serious issue because it feels like for... The millennials, uh, of which I'm a member, I feel like this this was and kind of Gen X maybe a little bit. There was like a that's when the broader cultural shift started occurring that led to this kind of like etiquette gap where it's like I just hadn't had a lot of socialization in the same way that I think Gen Z probably has with I don't know I mean t they, all they know how to do is write TTYL yeah like I mean <laughs> I, I don't really know that they have face-to-face -face engagement yeah I don't really point. know how the anxiety caused by constant social media and phone checking affects people's ability to speak with I, one another point. yeah um, yeah and and also I'm not sure how um, their technological attachments affect their emotional vocabulary and mm. the development of it. it. It might. It's not that it couldn't. I mean, I'm sure someone is listening to this and they're developing an app right now to help young men develop their emotional vocabulary through their social media sites. All Don't gotta, do yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. All you got to do is pay a dollar ninety nine a right. month. <laughs> It'll signal to you the appropriate words to make it appear like you're really listening, <laughs> That's even if so you're funny. not. No, no, I I'm not for that. But um, but I do think uh, getting out of your house and getting out of your <laughs> a, a bunch of people solitude. just wrote that idea. Down yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> getting out of your solitude is really important. So, like, how many young men feel lonely and volunteer at the food bank? I really feel like probably um, none. 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 Yeah, I'm going to say never happened. Yeah. I'm actually going to say it's probably never happened. Probably almost never happened. I really want someone to do that. They need your help. 
It's not that hard to pack bags. It's really, it, it feels good. Yeah. You feel needed. People know your name. Like, you know, that matters. People, you know, people want to be recognized as helpful. And, um, yeah, but I, I think that like they're not what I think has is part of this problem is that so first of all, that's exactly what there are I think plenty of studies that show that I can't cite off the top <laughs> of my head, but I, I believe that there are probably plenty of studies that show that those types of pro social behaviors when you're helping others leads to not only you feeling happier, but probably all kinds of other beneficial outcomes in the rest of your life. Right. It's a win win. Uh, yeah. Yeah. However, I it, we live in a media environment that doesn't showcase what we what i would describe as like as as a role model men is doing any of that shit no that like all of the media showcasing of of men who are desired by women culturally are men are not doing any of that stuff right or if they do it's almost like it feels as if it's a kind of um token of like oh yeah also you know the guy, the guy worked at a food bank for a minute. Here's a photo of him with a with a kid, or he did something in Africa, or like whatever. And you know, every celebrity has like a side uh-huh. project uh-huh. of like uh, helping dig wells or something. I mean, is that really what we're modeling our masculinity on these days, though? Like <laughs> celebrities? Like is is this the like fruition of the Kardashian culture that uh, <laughs> Jesus, like I our daughters should want to have like a rib removed and our sons <laughs> oh, should? No. I mean, like I don't know who's really. Like, is that really what's influencing people about what's attractive? I mean, we, you know, the other thing that I want to mention is, you know, young men used to get into volunteering from the Boy Scouts. Sure. I don't know. Were you a Boy Scout? Yeah, yep. You were a Boy Scout, right? Yeah. That could have saved you. It could have, you know. I I'm going to say it did. Uh, well, I was in, I was in the Cub Scouts and I was, I never was, was never like really, really into Boy Scouts. Right. But I was, uh, I was in Cub Scouts for a long time. And then when I got out of that is when I kind of started, uh, I like wrestled in high school. So it's weird because there is a team component to this that I feel like wrestling changed my life actually. Ah, in a lot In a really positive uh-huh. bunch of ways. Uh-huh. Because I think that part of the issue for a lot of these guys also is not that they just can't so- socialize with women. It's that they can't actually socialize with other men. Agreed. And in a healthy way. Agreed. And... I think that that I, I think that that also helped like change my life. But yes. it was like my, I have a pattern when I look back at my life. I have a pattern of like of of seeking some some kind of I think intimacy with with um, with other men in groups that has kind of gone through. It was like Cub Scouts. My dad, a lot of my uncles would all go hunting together when we right, were kids. Right. Um, wrestling in high school. Uh, the Mankind Project that I was like a right. member of. I think we talked about that. Yeah. I've never mentioned that on this podcast before. I'll describe it in a second. Fraternity in college. Oh, you were in a fraternity. Uh, yeah, I was in a fraternity. Well, so now that's, you know, a, a mixed bag of Definitely masculinity. Is. That uh, culture, I mean, um, maybe you'll explain the spanking thing to me, but I do. Ours I do, was, hold on, Lambda Chi oh, Alpha was the first national <laughs> fraternity to not support hazing. No, okay, no more, no more paddles. Yeah, no more. Okay. Pa- I mean, it's like handed down as a token. Like I it's see. Not oh, a you're, real... so yeah, you're not going to get rid of it. I mean, what but we nobody's really, going to use it. <laughs> what we really can't talk about is that men need um, to have, I mean, how many things like, like um, martial arts, wrestling, like men need an activity so that it looks like so that they can touch each other without being um, yes. called gay. Yep. Yep. And you know, women, when we think about the sociality and the tactile nature of women's friendships, like they're braiding each other's hair, they're giving yeah. each other back massages, they're playing games of like, um, you know, X marks the spot on each other's backs. They're like, I'm trying on each other's clothes. It's such um, 
a, a very um, tactile way of growing up and yep. a way of appreciating each other's bodies. Yep. They paint each other's nails. They do each other's makeup. Men have to like you know wrestle in order to touch each other well, it's funny because in exactly the way that you just you just said you're like there was there has to be a way for men to touch each other without being perceived <laughs> as like homosexual that literally thought crossed my mind when i got mm -hmm. back into doing mixed martial arts after college is mm -hmm. i was like i kind of miss touching other men or being like feeling close to like mm -hmm. other men mm -hmm. and it's straight and i mean like even saying it on this podcast i'm gonna have all these guys in chicago be like dude i didn't know you were so gay and you're like yeah but that's the problem is it's like there's this weird conflation of any kind of male intimacy with homosexuality mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're like i've never been attracted to a man in my life like i've never been sexually attracted to a man in my life never been romantically attracted to a man in my life it doesn't mean that you can't like be around and appreciate other men and i think that that actually is probably the bigger the the, the underlying more fundamental problem that mm -hmm. a lot of these guys actually have mm -hmm. is that they just can't seek intimate relationships period right. and the only outlet that they culturally have been a pigeonholed into is by seeking those types of relationships with women because they can't actually get them from other right, women. Right, right. That's right. But I and, think, and again, that's a lot of pressure for women and that's a lot of pressure tons. on men, you know, that if they break up with someone that they will not be touched. Well, I think that this is, it's a, it's a huge, I, I think it's a, it's a very scary problem for men, but I think it's also like, that's a huge amount of emotional labor. And I think like no mm -hmm. put together, no woman is like, let me go take on this, this project. Oh no, I would argue they are quite happy to do that. Yeah. Um, and it's to their detriment. You know, I mean, no, I think they want to feel that dependence because it gives them a sense of control. Interesting. Um, but in fact, you want, you know, you don't want to have anyone trapped in relationship with you that that you because you fill that role for them they can't break up with you yeah like you don't you want them to want to be with you right yeah. but i don't think that's really how intimacy has been so structured so women want to mother the people that they partner with as a way of incurring dependency that's fascinating uh, yeah yeah so i i'm not sure if they, they don't want it i think it's mm. a it's something that is, is probably too much huh. um and yeah yeah i mean i think that one thing that men do really i mean men do hang out together quite beautifully right like i think they've got that down i mean beautiful beautifully is an interesting well, like, <laughs> like they look out for each other they know how to meet at the park sure they play bass. You can go if you're yeah. alone. You can go to a, any public park and like get join a pickup game. Yeah, that's all right. That's probably true. I think that's really cool. Uh, I don't think the girls have a correlate to that because they're not as active and in their bodies. I mean, if you're on a swing, you know, maybe someone will come and swing next to you. But that's not like the same, you know, the same kind of um, camaraderie. And they plan things like everyone's coming over to watch this game or everyone's. Yeah. And you, you can be included without having to, like, take care of someone emotionally, which is different from mm. what women do. Like, mm. inclusion comes at a cost of conformity in a particular kind of way. That's and, interesting. Okay. Uh -huh, kind of a, a, a lot of uh, emotional labor and expectations of what it means to be a good friend. Men are kind of like, oh, you show up sometimes, you don't show up other times. It's okay. Yeah. They really forgive you. They have very low expectations of one another. Yeah. I think that's probably true. There's not a lot of... This is not a very high bar to clear. Right, right. And I, I sort of like that on some on some level and then other uh, other times. No, I mean, that's not true on sports teams. Like men can let each other down um, and pressure each other in ways that are oh, yeah, quite, for quite, sure. quite unhealthy uh, there too. So many pitfalls. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a really a miracle that any of us 
do anything yeah. have any have healthy relationships yeah anything. yeah yeah at all i think um, you just described the basis for most of my comedy <laughs> just right. like i don't know how the fuck i do it i do this any <laughs> given day uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I literally i oh man i think about i for the, the the whole i've been with my girlfriend for four years as of thursday and um that's exciting yeah i mean it w- if, it, if it's good it was on our uh, we have a non-monogamous relationship and on on our four-year anniversary i think we both forgot it and she went on a date with another dude <laughs> this married guy that she's seeing i mean he's in a non-monogamous relationship uh-huh, uh-huh. it's not like she's you know she's not no, a no, no, yeah um but she went on and i didn't even realize it until yesterday that i texted her i'm like did you realize it was our four-year anniversary and i'm like you want to date with another dude and she was like oh whoops <laughs> Well, I think that when people pay attention to anniversaries, it's like this perfunctory thing. Like everyone says like, oh, Valentine's Day, like you buy the perfunctory chocolate, you, yeah. the, you know, the anniversary, the perfunctory flowers, like maybe people participate in an, in affection on those days because they can't be bothered yeah. to show that they care on any other. It's a total, it's a complete, it's a total fetish in the sense that you can place, it almost feels like it has some kind of special relevancy, right? but it doesn't. And you, she would, she, she could not agree with you more. Aha, uh-huh, uh-huh. like So you found someone who's like-minded with yeah she i mean and i'm exactly in the same way as i'm like we're together 364 other days of the year like this is right to have like one day where we're like this is so special (laughs) you're like well what about every other every morning you wake up with this person should be you know what i mean if it does if it's not then maybe you need to reevaluate this right 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 but i also think like you have a much more it sounds like you've worked towards a pragmatic understanding of what intimacy is and provides and what it doesn't and i think too you know the extent to which in in the U.S. in particular, there's still this whole kind of drama around um, find that person who's the perfect person, oh, yeah. marry them, and they take care of all of your needs, and you take care of all of their. Oh, what needs. a bunch of what a whole bunch of pressure. Well, no wonder people start to feel lonely in a hurry if it's not working out for them because they're not valuing other kinds of social intimacies. There you go, and other kinds of um, meaningful engagements. I mean, and the other thing that I would say is that intergenerational relationships are really, and I don't mean sexual, I just mean like Any how kind. many, yeah, 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 like, you know, uh, uh, the idea of how many 70-year-olds does a 13-year-old boy know? Yeah. Besides, uh, maybe you know, grandparents. grandparents, right? Yeah, maybe. I would say none. Yeah. So we really keep our generations distinct and they could be the most helpful to one another. Oh, yeah. The adults in the middle have the least time and are too nervous to really talk about, totally. you know, intimacy. The folks, um, the older folks have the their whole lives to draw on in terms of giving advice and they need the attention of young younger kids and vice versa. So we have to think about how we organize generational um, uh, like sort of blockages in the, in, in the way that we do societal life. And that way, you know, again, like relieve some of those pressure points by getting um, young men into conversation more avidly. Like you have nothing to lose having a conversation with a 70 year old. Yeah. I, one of my, in my kind of personal development, there was a guy named John Phelps who was a uh, former, uh, lawyer at the university of Michigan. And, um, he was a member of the mankind project group that I was, mm-hmm. I've been involved with a number of different men's groups since going through the mankind project, but he was involved with, uh, my first one. And I remember one day I'm like 21 or 22 and I'm like, I was doing a lot of fighting MMA at the time. Uh, which was also, I think, a huge part of my kind of like that type of development. But I remember he uh, came over to me one day after this men's group thing that we did. And he was like, be gentle with yourself. Mm, and I'm like, what are you, I'm like, what are you right. talking about? He's like, 
just keep my words in front of you. Think about them. And I think about it all the time yeah, now. Yeah. And I was like, man, he just really, like that guy was a real beacon of a lot of wisdom that I feel like, like, and to, to just draw back, it feels like, first of all, you're completely correct that there's, there's, there's a solo siloed generations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in, um, in particularly in American culture, I think, uh, for some reason. But also, uh, there's a real loss of the attempt to learn wisdom, I feel like, in general. Uh-huh, right, like no respect for elders Yeah, uh, it, as it, offering anything that you could, any sort of sage advice. Yeah, like mm-hmm. knowledge, in the pursuit of any kind of knowledge, becomes sort of short-term, immediately Google pragmatic. It. Yeah, <laughs> without the sense of like, look, sometimes, um, you know, having, having th- like, I, the words, be gentle with yourself, I don't know if I had any attempt to apply in my own life for maybe a year mm-hmm. after I heard him saying, mm-hmm. but they kind of always stuck with me. And finally I started realizing, I was like, Oh, I think I get, I kind of find, finally understand what he means, which is like, stop putting so much pressure on yourself to have anything happen in a very particular kind mm-hmm. of way. Mm-hmm. And don't beat yourself up when it doesn't happen in the way that it's supposed to, mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. you want it to. Mm-hmm. Maybe life is bigger and longer and filled with all kinds of other things. And you don't have to have so much pressure. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like that was a big thing that took me a long time to learn, but that would, that, that type of wisdom if I didn't have that guy in my life, I don't know if I would have ever heard that from anybody else. Right, right. Like, it, because I think it's specifically like it, when you're dealing with your own parents, this is getting slightly off topic, I guess, but when you're when you're specifically dealing with your own parents or grandparents, they kind of have this like, first of all, there's plenty of dysfunctions <laughs> that can occur in that relationship particularly. Right. But then also they have a, a certain, potentially a certain kind of vested interest in your well-being in a very narrow kind of way that a unrelated older person can just be like, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, here's these kinds of things. That's right. And you don't have to take the advice of an older person. It's just that it helps put your own views in perspective. It anchors them in a way. It gives you a compass. Just like, I mean, parents are only triggering. Uh, You know, really, really. but, But, you know, other adults... It's just, you know, sometimes you can bounce your own thoughts against the the views of an adult who just, you know, generally cares about you. You don't have to, you know, assimilate all of their views into your own mind as a way of respecting elders. Mm. It's just about getting a, a whole host of opinions and thoughts that balance out let's say your self-hatred yeah <laughs> um you know which is like are you uh, talking to me <laughs> well i mean just it's just a common experience right yeah. um like we i mean we really don't talk about how common that is as a rite of passage um you know for young people like the this just um urgent feeling of i'm not good enough right. it's a feeling of latent inadequacy that's right. kind of like right. that becomes sometimes very acute Right. And like, yeah. And then you can't. And I think that's where a lot of this stems from is this kind of like, and I think boys and girls both experience this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the interesting problem with the incel population and with, you know, young men generally is that, you know, girls, when they feel it, they self-harm. Yeah. And boys um, tend to externalize that pain yep. onto random others. And, you know, the, the cases that we have, I mean, there's one thing that I really want to raise here, like the cases that we've had to think about in Canada, you know, we had our first um, terrible shooting in a, in a mosque in Quebec City. Um, and the, this young man was like, well, should I shoot at a feminist club at Laval, which is a local university? Should I go to a shopping mall? Okay, no, I'll go to a mosque. So there is a way in which 
we really do have to focus on young white men in particular. I do feel like there's this, there's so much ideology out there that like your self-hatred can be explained because immigrants are taking your chances there's and like, girls it's a, aren't. It's a grab bag of narratives. It is. It is. And it's a, it's provocative because there is in fact a slide. Uh, you know, let's not say, um, it, you know, the perception that your father had a good factory job and you won't. That is true. It's not because of immigrants. It's because of globalization and yeah. the loss of that economic tier. Yeah. But it seems to me like we have to talk about the structure of the economy every time we talk about these ideologies. And we have to think about like um, whiteness Yeah. in particular, like, you know, because um, black men for the most part, Latino men for the most part are not um, going into a a uh, shopping mall. Not a lot of shooting man, people. Lot of, not yeah. a lot of manifestos coming out of no, that community. No, no, um, right. And so, <laughs> so you know, the, the, it seems like there's also opportunity for a kind of cross racial um, um, dialogue. Dialogue where you know, I mean, clearly, like men who've been experiencing a tremendous amount of racism and economic social. Dis, you know, economic dislocation are not killing people um, uh, randomly. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, thinking about that question of destruction, like who deserves to, to experience pain because I'm in pain mm. is something that we really need to think about in relation to, to white men. And it's uncomfortable. Like in Toronto, we have a Catholic, a really um, prestigious Catholic high school uh, St. Mike's where young men were found to be, um, you know, holding each other down and inserting huh. a broom stick into their, each other's, you know, anuses or to the, unlucky you can say, you can say butts. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, I mean, yeah, this is not it. a ritual <laughs> that I am familiar with. Thank God. Um, but, um, you know, you, we have uh, to start me, thinking about me, like, me uh -huh. either. Uh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I don't think that it's so much, um, something that, so shame um, on me for laughing. That's like, a terrible no, thing. No, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, it's, like we got them. I mean, these are, it's good to render strange things that are actually respected rites of passage. Yeah. Um, and it's good to admit that they're respected rites of passage. And you know, the, the, the leadership at St. Mike's was like, we have no idea where this came from. Yeah. It came from St. Mike's. Yeah. And from many other, you know, environments where men have to learn how to ignore other people's feelings by turning on one another first. Yeah. So you wonder like, how does me too happen? Well, if young boys are trained to hold each other down, you know, hold each other's heads in the toilet yep. and to, you know, anally rape one another, then it's probably much easier to disrespect other people's feelings on yeah. down the line. Well, right? this is, and this is part of the conversation we had kind of before this. There's a, I'm reading Naomi Snyder and Carol Gilligan's, um, uh, why does patriarchy persist right now? Mm -hmm. And and hopefully to be mm. uh, interviewing Naomi mm. soon. And that's one of their theses in the book is that it's it, it, this is part of the reason this persists is that it's like there's a we're teaching young men to to basically to shut down their feelings in a way that uh, is really unhealthy. And these are kind of the results of this. Mm. Mm -hmm. And um, and there's a their their book goes on to say that this there's a tacit benefit for all of, everybody wa actually kind of wants this because it's 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 beneficial in many different types of ways for for men and women and all types of people actually to have this sort of persist. I'm still working my way through the book, mm -hmm. so I don't want to go too far into it um, lest I get something wrong. But 
Uh, I find that very fascinating because one of the things that I brought up, I think, in the first conversation we had on the phone was I was like, you know, we, we there's a quote, and I I forget what it, uh, who said it. It might have been, might have been Campbell. It might be the book Fire in the Belly though that I read, which was, um, y- young like boys have to reconcile the fact and all people have to reconcile the fact that for thousands of generations, boys have had to experience the truth of that at one time you might have to kill somebody else to protect mm-hmm. people that you love and care about. Mm-hmm. How are you going to do that? If you're a, a, if you're, if you're over brimming with sensitivity and em- empathy for others and all of this sort of stuff, it's like, look, the Mongols are going to come in and burn the city of Vienna to the ground. Like we have to do something you know, or, or Kiev actually is a better example. And so it's weird because in a lot of like my thinking and in a lot of the writing I've done out, you know, outside of comedy, because, you know, massacres of cities do not make for a great not, comedy not fodder. Funny, not so funny. Uh, yeah. This is a t- thing that like pe- people have had to reconcile. We live in a world where that's not going to, it's not really the truth anymore. If anything, if we don't instill this kind of empathy into mm-hmm. boys, we're going to lead to, you know, to the road to apocalypse. But in but, point of fact, like the largest. Um, group of vets who and the youngest group of vets in U.S. history has now, you know, is now living, you know, back from Iraq with more missing limbs, more shrapnel than ever before. Um, And 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 more like such bleak, bleak um, chances, life chances and economic opportunities. Oh, yeah. And their whole lives ahead of them. So I don't know if it's the case that we aren't asking that of men still. I mean, we certainly have, like we're, we're asking it of poor men by and large. Sure. Um, And men of color also. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, um, that, that's still a big piece of masculinity, even if it's not true for, for many men, Mm. um, who, who have other opportunities. I think that what I'm a, I really, what kind of was a big boon to me in this through, in my own life, working through this, uh, my own feelings and thoughts on this was reading a lot of Joseph Campbell, and one of the things that really has stuck with me over this over all of this this time, and what led me to take to going through the Mankind Project was it really feels like every culture on the planet has had since time immemorial has had some type of ritual to a rite of passage for boyhood into manhood, and many of those mm-hmm. rituals tried to inculcate pro-social values Mm -hmm. that shepherded boy psychology into man psychology or child psychology into adult psychology. And it really feels like we're lacking that wholesale um, Mm -hmm. across all Western culture Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, in general. And I think that part of this has to do with that, which is like at, at what point do you you know, when you're a boy, you're, it's appropriate to see yourself as potentially a victim of like a larger forces that are, you're not in control over. But when you're, uh, when you're an adult, it's like, give that shit up and take responsibility mm-hmm. for your own life. Mm-hmm. But there is no large way to shepherd, uh, boys through that, uh, so that their thoughts become sort of pro-social and, mm-hmm. and, uh, more mature. And also, paired with that is this kind of etiquette gap that we were talking about before it feels like those are two deep things that were they to happen and i don't know how they would 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 really be a a boon to solving kind Mm -hmm, of a lot of mm -hmm. the social ills that come along with men who feel this way well you'll forgive forgive me for always coming up with the state remedy but i do think (laughs) um you know kids go to university too early they don't really know how to pick a profession we should have a two-year period after graduating from high school where you give back people care about the environment a lot 
We could be like, you know, working on preserving um, natural um, wildlife, you know, and uh, protected um, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Um, I mean, kids just, I, I can say this, you know, because I, I teach kids 18 to 21, 18, 19, 20, I'm an impediment to their sex lives, basically. <laughs> like, it's a wonder that they come at all <laughs> or listen. So we should just have them like learning different tree, you know, uh, how yeah. to plant trees, like learning different bird species and um, thinking being, about extinction. mixed gender, mixed yes. groups. And then everyone can have trees, this rite of passage to adulthood. It doesn't have to be gendered. Like yeah. we can, you can build trails together or do other idea. kinds of volunteer work together where you build skills and then get a sense of, you know, join a guild like see if you like to do electrical work see if you like to do plumbing work see if you like to do firefighting work see you know like just try these things on yeah. in this time period of giving back and then you'll have graduated into an adult space where you can actually pick a program or a life action that you want and it also postpones some of the painful aspects of work for 18 year olds who are not interested in going to university um, but maybe aren't ready for the 40 hour work week in the way that we have it structured currently I do yeah. think that that's too too young for that so I, I think we you know if we could we can do that for for folks when they're graduating from um, sixth grade too like just on the smaller scale like so to think about writing it into the K through 12 trajectory um, and investing in nature since young people apparently, now care about environmental destruction as the you know latest um, uh, protests um, and global climate change protests you know indicate mm -hmm. like use those concerns to build right you know emotional rites of passage. I, I I couldn't agree more with that. I I actually kind of I think the the you know the IDF the Israeli Defense Force the idea that everybody has to do kind of two years mm -hmm. or something. I feel like that's a great it's. There's a there's a type of I mean that would sort of thing would never fly I think in the United States it's mandatory service but like <laughs> but the idea that there's a I think that there's a the, there part of my feelings at the time I remember even thinking I wish that there was something that I was required like like I think that uh, this is just part and parcel of the problem is I think that a lot of young men and probably most young men and I was one of them needed a bigger authority to yes. go I need you and yes. here's where you're needed yes. and here's in how fact, you're needed many you know one striking similarity of incel folks is that they tried to join either the police force or the military at some point and yeah. then were kicked out yeah so they were probably looking for inclusion camaraderie yeah uh team building but were already too out of step to yeah. really um, to acclimate to the strictures of those settings. But again, anything that we want to change like this, we would really have to invest a lot of money in. Yep. And um, it's not that the U.S. doesn't have those kinds of resources. It, it definitely does. It would just have to be a priority. Yeah. Instead of, I mean, we could go take $188 billion from Jeff Bezos. Right. But he'll still be a billionaire. Well, that's right. That's, that's right. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, I would say that some of the most beautiful interventions. I'm really limiting my upward mobility by <laughs> talking about I, I, Jeff Bezos I like I think this. really powerful people, the interesting thing is if you criticize them, they just think it's cute. They they, they actually don't feel um, threatened. Threatened by them yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, like, some of the. Well, if you're listening to yeah. this, Jeff Bezos, I challenge you <laughs> to, to hire a wrestling me. match. To hire you. <laughs> 
like, yeah. <laughs> to wrestle and then hire you. He'll put me um, in a warehouse. I'll walk 10 miles a day well, around the warehouse. That Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that um, Amazon warehouses are really building a lot of um, camaraderie right now. There, there are unionization efforts, so maybe maybe they are. I don't know. They'll probably get rid of all people and those things very quickly. <laughs> right. Was that a, just with robots? Anyway. <laughs> well, I was just going to mention a cheap in, uh, intervention that could be modeled on. I mean... Um, AA is really one of the most beautiful yeah, we talked about this yeah, settings yeah. that I just wanted to mention for folks who are listening. Uh, it, ha- it costs no money. Um, it's um, a really um, one of the most beautiful spaces I've ever seen for men to actually learn how to support one another and hold one another's feelings mm. without having to do anything but the power of listening. Uh. and bearing witness to one another Mm. and where talking about your emotions does not mean that you're less of a man. Yeah. And it's also um, spaces that are uh, cross gender and all gender Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't have to be a ritualized like, well, I, I know now that I can talk to other men, but can I talk to women? No, everyone's there because they have a shared commitment to developing a vocabulary of care, Mm. self-care and care of others. And with reflexivity, like accounting for things that we've done wrong and, you know, thinking carefully about how we want to live our lives. And I think that's a very beautiful, um, underutilized model, Mm. uh, for men too. And thinking about, um, you know, developing those skills. I think, um, I, I, I feel like that maybe isn't a, I should go check out AA then. I uh, just to see what it's like. I've never mm-hmm. been. I don't have. There a, are open meetings. And I don't have a problem. <laughs> um, yeah, I. Uh, it's weird because my mother went to Al-Anon, uh-huh. uh, which I guess is so. At AA, you actually have to be a, a recovering addict, I think, right, or that, something. That's right. And but then the Al-Anon, Al-Anon is, is like right, for everybody, right? Yeah. For folks who love um, addicts, who who have a friend who's an addict or yeah. or an alcoholic or um, a family member. My grandfather, the same one who I was lauding earlier as being a real kind of bastion, as being a sensitive man, he was a real alcoholic for a long mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. until his forties. And the only thing that stopped him was he became a diabetic. And right. had to stop drinking in order to regulate his blood sugar. But he went to AA, went to AA for years, never really drank after that, almost at all. I think he had one glass of wine once that I saw him in my whole life, like drinking. Uh, but it's interesting because he, I think, I, because I think, you know, in a man of his generation, I think that he, he was a rather sensitive man. And I think that the the world was just really inhospitable to mm-hmm. any any type of male sensitivity through i mean he was in the second world war for mm-hmm. you know for Christ's sake mm-hmm. like i think that he just really had difficulty dealing with his own feelings and there was no outlet for it except drinking which is what a lot of men end up turning into doing anyway 100% i think yeah. alcohol is the is the primary replacement for emotional development for men mm mm <laughs> yeah, i feel like we have actually be on like a bumper sticker or something <laughs> primary replacement for emotional development. I think that men feel, you know, rejected by their fathers and they deal with that pain by medicating. Yeah. By self-medicating. Um, uh, let's talk about, we've been at this for an hour. Okay. Um, let's talk about really quickly, just the Joker movie that you brought up. Yes. I haven't seen it yet. Did you see it? I didn't see it, but I've read a lot of reviews. Like most scholars, I just read the reviews of movies and (laughs) said, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, it's funny. I'm going to go see it and I'm, I'm not sure what it'll be. Um, as a comedian, I'm curious to watch what this is because there is definitely something, um, something has to kind of not happen in the way that I think it's supposed to in your development for you to be like, I'm going to get in front of strangers and get their love. (laughs) Like 
So I'm really curious to see how that's handled in this movie. But there is kind of a strange, I, I get the feeling that this is the almost too real of a mirror placed in front of our culture right now. And that's mm-hmm. why they can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. The reviews that I've read is people have mostly been like, I don't get why this is like, it's not glorifying this guy's turn against society, but it's explaining it and he's making him an empathetic character. Like hopefully. Oh, well, I, I mean, I, you mean you think that we're supposed to feel sympathy based on the, I don't know. Uh-huh. I can imagine uh, that could be the case. Well, it's always um, unnerving when you have a central protagonist who hates human beings and wants their destruction. Yeah. So that's just like the first, we're not, are you supposed to identify with him and feel for him? Is mm. this a kind of glorification? Um, mm. Is there something being sold here that's attractive to people who feel anime and have, rejection? Have you, uh, have you, you, there's a lot of uh, comparison to Taxi Driver. Have, have you seen that, with no, that film? No, no. What about Clockwork Orange? Yeah, so that's interesting because I think that the question is, can we portray a protagonist and make them sympathetic without tacitly approving of anything mm-hmm. that they're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's interesting because a lot of people have compared this one to Taxi Driver. Clockwork Orange is and is interesting because not only have I seen that movie, but that was the subject. I did a deep um, analysis of that book for a class I had years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating book to get inside the mind of, and movie, of inside the mind of a guy who's essentially completely, almost a sociopath in many mm-hmm. ways. And that the subject of that film is somebody who can't uh, basically become a normal member of society. They right. have to destroy everything that's around them in similar kinds of ways. Right, right. I don't know. I think that it's good that that movie exists, but I feel like it's also a similar kind of thing because there's people who watch it for entirely the wrong reasons. Right. That's right. And they lionize it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was a whole group of um, copycat uh, Mm -hmm. crimes that took place in the UK Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. after after that film came out. I don't even know if it's still impossible to get or not in the UK, but it it was for a long time. They wouldn't play it um, for exactly that reason. I don't know. I mean... You know, it, you, someone who is completely missing the mark if they think that any of that stuff is worth doing. I mean, the whole point of that movie is that this guy is horribly unhappy in his life. Right, right. I mean, the question is, do, when they were doing all of the... I mean, are people supposed to experience some kind of vicarious pleasure by watching him get away with things that they themselves would like to do? Hmm. Um, and it, does it, does it, is it some sort of release valve for people who have so much rage... And, you know, want to feel allied with, with such a character. I'm, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm against censorship. Like, I'm not, I, sure. I, I don't think that films shouldn't be made. I'm not going to go see it. Yeah. Um, because I just get the sense that it's made enough reviewers uncomfortable in mm. this political moment. Mm. I mean, we are having, the U.S. is in a gun crisis. Yeah. Um, uh, people don't feel safe in movie theaters. And people schools. don't feel safe anyway. You're telling me, yeah. I have a big, so I brought us equipment on this big, this big <laughs> black bag. I was on the subway and I could tell that I'm like, people think I'm carrying something with right. me. Like, the worst, the weirdest that I've ever felt in terms of like scrutinized was I had a black gym bag and I walked through um, Times Square to go to a comedy show. Yeah. And I had this black gym bag just walking around Times Square and people were like, what the fuck? 
Like people were really weirded out. And I was like, I, and I mean, I understood why, but it wasn't until I was in the middle of it that I was like, oh shit, this was a mistake. Well, right, like, right. I mean, and we, you know, this isn't like an interesting note to end on, like how do men deal with the fact that people stare at them suspiciously and think of them as like perpetrators all the time? I mean that, you know, you don't have to put clown makeup on and go skulking around for people to be suspicious of you. Yeah. I mean, at the airport, like a woman. And we, ha- and we would not suggest you do that either. <laughs> no. No, but at the airport, a woman handed me her baby while she was taking luggage oh off. Oh my that. god! She's like, Can you just hold this baby for a second? I mean, like, so you know, that gives me a sense that I look very trustworthy, and that people think, yeah, like um, <laughs> that I'm, I'm. If I had a black bag, that there would be nothing in it, but you know, toiletries. So I think you know the the the, the other piece of masculinity that we have to think about is like what it what it feels like to be. Um, that other people are suspicious of you, that there's yeah. enough people, um, you know, l- like you who've done things that are really painful that you have to prove yourself nervously yeah. by smiling and walking in particular well, ways. I mean, to, there's two, this yeah. actually is kind of an interesting point for the end of this podcast because there's two. So first of all, as a, as a white man, the only time I feel that way is when I'm walking around with a black bag somewhere. Okay. So okay, that's it's not something I have to deal okay. with very often. Uh-huh. Uh, but the second thing is I, I will say that something I learned when I, um, when I started dating uh, was that I was like, oh, I have to, one of the first things I need to do is just the, the whatever, however way I have to communicate it, I need to subcommunicate like, hey, I'm not threatening like and not in like a way where I'm Uh saying I'm not threatening. It's just like, hey, I'm normal. This is fine. There's no pressure. Everything's cool because I think that like people I think that uh, people I think that women are so used to men being on a potential threat. Yes. It was like I I learned really quickly. Oh, that's what I have to kind of (laughs) subcommunicate because otherwise they're like, what do you want? Right. Right. I mean, just thinking about the the emotional mechanics of having to say, please don't be afraid of me. Yeah. Uh, is an interesting thing for, for which me I to feel like if on. somebody was gonna. I feel like if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, "Why the fuck would you say that?" Now I'm <laughs> right. terrified. What are you? What are you <laughs> right, right. How would you tell that to me? Um, I think the way that I've dealt with that is just by trying to be as authentically honest as possible. Like, so I've definitely. I was just saying this as I met this uh, woman who was a server at our restaurant last night, and I was really attracted to her, but I didn't want to ask her out because she was our server. And I was like, this will be a really awkward position to put you in. So I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll go back. It's on my way home. I'm like, maybe I'll swing back by that bar today to see if she's there. And I was telling my friend this, and he was like, well, what the hell are you going to say to her? And I'm like, I think I'll just walk up and go, hey, I, uh, you remember me from last night. Um, I've literally been thinking about you like all day because I think you're so cool, and we had so much fun. I was going to ask you out, but I didn't want to put you in a weird position. And I've just, that's the way that I try to live my life now is because I feel like it just is disarming to people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Have, and, she, uh-huh. and she could say no, that's totally fine. Oh, so you haven't like, done it yet. You're thinking no, about doing it. You're going to go right from this podcast and I do might. That. I okay. don't know. It's still my I mind. wouldn't say that you've been thinking about her all day. Yeah, I wouldn't be like, I've been thinking about you <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> I was dreaming about you last night and in the dream. <laughs> but then you also have to think about if she says no, then you're not going to want to go to that restaurant anymore. Yeah. Well, that's fine. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I think you'll still go to the restaurant. I think, I mean, I wouldn't say those in exactly those words, but the idea is basically that, you know, it's, it's, it's tautological. Like if no one ever asks you out when you're working, then you think like, God, am I invisible? Am I just like, I'm, you know, springing you your food, just a yeah. hapless individual, no one noticing my humanity. Sure. But then if people ask you out, it's like, God, this profession no, I have is to so deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> So bad. So, um, so damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> I say, you know, saying I I appreciated you can't 
can't make the world a, yeah. a, a bad place. Yeah, right. Um, so so I encourage you. What a beautiful note for us to end on. Yeah. I just, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll yes. have to tune into the next episode to see if it worked out or not. Exactly. That'll be really. Uh, well, Judith Taylor, thank you so much. If people want to follow you or check out uh, any of your work, uh, you know, uh, any of that, where can they? Uh, where can they? They can just look at the University of Toronto website. Okay. There'll be links there. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you.